You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. I'm a little bit perturbed right now because um, I woke up and something just didn't seem right. And sure enough, <laughs> did all the work to get on this day in history up. And I had I, I was there, 5 o'clock, boom. I hit the button to, to be done, or at least I thought I did. But I missed one little checkbox and it just sat there in draft all day long. So, didn't get published at 5 o'clock. I'm going to have to publish it at 4 o'clock in the morning, and then publish this episode at 6 o'clock, which means the other one's probably going to get buried, nobody's going to listen to it, and that makes me very, very upset. However, it is actually a very, very awesome on this day in history, because it is the one in which McCarthy was fired. And it's actually a two-for-one, um, because I had recorded... On Sunday night, after they had lost to the Cardinals, the Monday morning episode. I recorded it that night so that I could sleep in a little bit. And then I come to find out after I get done recording it that McCarthy got fired. So I recorded, after the fact, a breaking news thing, but then posted it Sunday night. So anyways, the way I did it is, it's only like four minutes for the breaking news thing. So I just did a normal on this day in history. It's a very somber. We lost to the Cardinals. This is garbage. And then at the conclusion of that, at the very end, is a breaking news. McCarthy was just fired. So uh, uh, obviously one of the biggest moments in history, at least as far as I've been doing the podcast, Mike McCarthy getting fired. Um, and I didn't push post. So, I look, it's a long day. You got plenty of time. Just listen to both of them because it's, uh, it's a good one. Uh, and a little bit of better news, I guess. You may have noticed Mr. Zadarius Smith had posted a picture on his Instagram, which just so happens to be my Z- Conductor Zadarius t-shirt design. So that was kind of cool. Been trying to reach out to the guy, but he's not super answering, probably because he has somebody managing his, you know, social media and has no idea what, what any of this means. But still was posted on his Instagram, and it got liked by half the team. Last I saw Jair, Bakhtiari, Preston, Packers themselves, they all liked it. little shady that he just ripped it off my Twitter, didn't even like my Twitter post, and then posted it on his Instagram and didn't tag me, and isn't responding to messages saying, hey man, like what up? Not even a message saying like, dude, can I send you a t-? Nothing. Not even a simple thumbs up. Like, yeah, good one. And again, I'm pretty sure Zadarius isn't managing this, but whoever it is, I don't know. Seems a little shady to me. Dude's a multi-bajillionaire. You could have just paid somebody to recreate a similar image and not ripped it off. But whoever it is that's managing his social media felt that it was all right to uh, just kind of rip stuff off and claim it as their own, I guess. I don't know. And look, I, I, I'm not going to get anything out of that anyway. Nobody cares. The picture looks a little goofy anyways. It's just the fact that he did it or she did it. Why? It just feels like you're trying to steal my stuff when you don't even like the Twitter post that I... Because that's what happened. I posted on Twitter a really awesome stat, which we're going to talk about today. Very pro-Zadarius episode today. And I posted that picture, and about an hour later, boom, it shows up on Zadarius's Instagram. And I, you know, 
Jacob, who runs my thing, was all like freaking out and excited, and he's sending a bunch of messages, and it's like he's like a dog with a bone, man. He's trying to get this thing figured out. He's trying to get something, and I didn't really care. It's, it's sweet, man. That's awesome. You know, I'm just glad it happened. But then when I realized it wasn't Zedarius and it was just some probably 19-year-old D-Wad who's just going around ripping people off trying to get cool content and get a bunch of likes so that he can justify whatever garbage salary Zedarius is paying him, I just wanted to smack him a little bit. Zedarius wants to steal my stuff, that's cool. And if somebody can confirm that he stole my... I mean, I'm not going to like that, but I won't be as mad. But I'm just picturing some pimple-faced dweeb living in mom's basement ripping off my stuff trying to impress Sedarius with my stuff I will kick you so good you gonna wish I didn't kick you so good boy Trevor his name's probably Trevor what else oh Instagram is officially over 600 and by quite a bit so I am going to be doing a giveaway or I should say I'm going to be doing a drawing hopefully tomorrow we'll see as far as time permits it's one of those things where I need time after work and there just isn't much of that but i'm gonna try and then oh itunes and patreon only four away from uh getting 300 on itunes so if you haven't done so yet i would appreciate a five-star itunes review thank you so much and um patreon if you have any interest in supporting the show check link of links it's not what it's called but a little link tree link and there's a whole bunch of other links ways to support or whatever it's in there it's buried in there would be greatly appreciated Anyways, we're pretty short on time, so let's take a break and jump into some stuffs. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, folks, it's time for that little Vivid Seats reminder. Again, I really got two angles on this thing. Number one, we got a Packer game coming up. If you or somebody you know would like to go to the Packer game and maybe you feel like purchasing it, this would be a really great way to do it. Just flip out the phone, not flip up the phone. Nobody has those anymore. Although they do have the Razor things, which those things weren't great to begin with. But, well, whatever. They're back. You can flip that one up. Bang up your Vivid Seats app. That's what the kids say. Don't worry about it. Search for some tickets and see if they got what you like. Here's the thing, though. If you're not going to the game, you don't want to go to the game, you're tired of me telling you about the game, that's fine, because you know what I know? You are panicked about some Christmas gifts. Outside of the Packernet t-shirt store, I don't know where else you would go than Vivid Seats to try to find some cool events in the area of the person you're shopping for. Mom's a big fan of the theater. Some theater tickets, dude. Mom will be all like, I love you again. And you can be all excited. It's going to be a great reunion, Christmas thing, redemption. Family's back together again, thanks to Vivid Seats. You're welcome. By the way, at checkout, enter promo code OVERTIME to receive up to a $100 discount if you're a new user. You're welcome for saving your family. Back to the show. All right, so not much time, so there's a couple things I would like to talk about. Number one, Mr. Zadarius Smith. I feel like I've said this already a thousand times, but i got to say it again. Um, number one, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Brian Gutekunst. You are a wizard, and I don't get it, but I'm so excited that you are the GM of the Green Bay Packers. Because you know who isn't going out and grabbing a guy who had kind of a meaty year? I mean, he was good in Baltimore. He had kind of a breakout year, but even, see, I my hope was that he could maintain that level of breakout year. 
And I could say that maybe Gutekunst just kind of was thinking the same thing. Like, I'm kind of hoping that his last year in Baltimore was indicative of his what he'll do for the rest of his time in the NFL. However, there's two contradicting things here. Number one, the level of success he had even in his last year doesn't really warrant the amount of salary he got. A little overpriced. I mean, based on getting like 12% pressure rate, whatever. I mean, I guess if you want to actually pay a guy that's a definite starter and is going to fit your defensive scheme and whatever, maybe that's the going rate, but that would be number one. May, I mean, Preston Smith got $12 million-ish. Right, that would fit Zadarius, I think. 12, 13, whatever. If you want to pay him more, fine. Pay him 14 or something. 17? Granted, compared to some of the Quan Alexander linebacker nonsense, that money that was going around, Zadarius was a steal. But I'm not basing it off of other people's dumb decisions. I'm going off what seems to be a reasonable salary for what he's done. And I'm going to look at what he did in 2018 and say that's cool, but we got to look at a little bit of risk here because he's never been that good and we've dealt with Nick Perry. And I'd, I, I, you know... If I'm going to sign the guy, I'm looking at him as like the fifth or sixth best option and, you know, maybe, but I'm definitely not giving him huge money. So that's kind of number one. Number two, apparently, I believe this is via Zadarius Smith, um, when Zadarius got the call from Brian Gutekunst, he said, we're not bringing you here for what you've done. We're bringing you here for what you will do or something to that effect. Basically just laying out, look, I'm not paying you or bringing you here because I'm impressed with anything. This isn't how he said it because it would sound kind of not great. But he's basically flat out saying, no, 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 no. He's not going to be that same. He's going to be a lot better. Like he was just getting the tip of the iceberg there and he's about to do something real special. He saw that. Now he's not perfect. He hasn't hit on every draft pick. He missed on most, which is fine because every GM misses on most. Bill Belichick misses on most of his draft. Everybody does. Billy Turner kind of was trying to read between the lines there, maybe a little bit more than he should have. That doesn't seem to be panning out super great. But but here's the thing. I I, I, I never get the opportunity. Maybe once in a while I'll call Aaron Rodgers the GOAT. But as a quote-unquote fanalist, one of the things is I, I, I love being a fan, but I really love being correct, and I try to do both at the same time. And usually that means i got to kind of temper what I say. Right, like if I'm talking to a friend or something, I have no problem just throwing out like, "Dude, he's the greatest. He's the goat. He's this. He's that." Because it's just fun, right? We're just, it's just banter. It's football talk. It's like fandom all day long, and it's a lot of fun. On here, I gotta kind of like temper it a little bit, right? Everybody's like, "Boom, Devontae's top five, guaranteed. He's top three probably." And I'm like, "Yeah, maybe, could be. Let's look at some of the. You know, it's just as much again that appeals very much to my analytical side." But the fan part of me is just sitting there going, man, come on. Can you just say top five? Just say top five and just, just hang it out there. Just 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 slam dunk that thing. Can't do it. And so I very rarely get to participate or say things that a lot of people just throw out because I have to be careful and I want to be correct and I want to try to measure things. And I, I'm also respectful of other guys. Right? Is Aaron Rodgers the best quarterback in 2019? Lots of Packer fans would say yes. Um, you know, somebody else asked the question in the Facebook group: Is Aaron Rodgers top ten quarterback in history? And you can make a case for that. It all just depends on the criteria. But I, you know, it's one of those things that I want to just scream, "Yeah, dude! What do you think goat means? Numero uno, son. It doesn't say greatest of last week. What does greatest of all time mean to you?" But I'm very, very excited because. For the first time that I can remember in some time, 
I'm looking at something, and based on the data that I can find, I can make a statement, and I'm very excited to make this statement. Are you ready? And here's the thing. Packer fans aren't even going to agree to me, but I don't even care because I get to say it, and I get to be the one saying crazy stuff, and you guys can say I'm wrong, and ha-ha, roll reversed, burn, get out of my face. Ready? Here it is. Zadarius Smith is the best pass rusher in the NFL. Boom, son! I'm going to pack it up, but I just want to let this marinate a little bit. I want to be a little bit of a fan here right now. He's the best. Numero uno. Better than yo pass rusher and better than yo mama's pass rusher, Zadarius. What's his name? It's Zadarius. I'm sorry, did you say Nick Bosa? Nope. Get your rookie nonsense out of here. I didn't say Nick Bosa. I didn't say Joey Bosa. I didn't say their cousin Kumaro. I didn't say any of that. I said Zadarius Smith is the best pass rusher in the NFL. Would you like a little bit of background on that? All right, let me let's get into the information here. Now, granted, this is based on this point in time through the season, but especially through the last few weeks. This can change by the end of the season. This, you know, we'll, we'll see. But right now, if you told me I need you to do something, I'm research assignment, go out and find me the best pass rusher in the NFL. Bring, ging, 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 ging. That's what my computer sounds like. And it spits out Zadarius Smith. Crunch the numbers again. Crunch Zadarius. Let's look at it a little bit. So there's a, a few different ways to kind of analyze things. Obviously, one of the most simplistic and probably the, mo- the biggest way that most people do this, well, th- there's two ways. There's the eye test, which I, I, let's be completely honest. When people say watch the film or the eye test or all that kind of stuff, what they really mean is I'm going to believe whatever the media tells me. Because they watch ESPN, they watch NFL Network, they watch Colin Coward, they listen to all these people who show them clips and highlights, right, Brian Baldinger breaking stuff down. They watch all this stuff, and guys going, this is the greatest pass rusher football. It's terrible Brian Baldinger, but it's something like that. Just watch the way he does this. (laughs) With his bandana. Why does he have a bandana on? Is he sweating? He's standing in an air-conditioned studio. What's the deal, dude? Probably did just get done working out, though. He is pretty jacked. I'll stop talking trash. But but that's what it means, right? People understand what everyone else is saying because they're... Listen, stop acting like you're watching every single player on every single team every single week. You're not. Nobody is doing that. You're consuming media and you're listening and you're trying to be reasonable and pretend that you watch film by listening to people who do watch a decent amount of film, but sometimes they get stuff wrong. They're not watching everybody. Everybody gets on the hype. So it's, it's hilarious because so you got your raw stats, which aren't great because you need a little bit more in-depth. Then you got people who watch film, but you know where that comes? It essentially comes from stats because you have people who say they watch film. They just get it from media members, and even media members, they're not watching everybody. So how do they pick and choose who they watch? Well, a lot of it comes from hype, and hype comes from social media, which comes from it's, which gets to be very circular, but it blows up on social media because somebody has a good day generally by way of stats. For example, let's follow this out. Let's say Nick Bosa gets four sacks in a game. Everybody on social media blows up. Guys in the media want to capitalize on something because they want a lot of clicks and views and all that stuff. So they jump on this hype train. I'm going to do a film study on Nick Bosa. So then they go in and show, look how Nick Bosa is the greatest pass. Look at this. Look at how he swoops in. Oh, there he goes. Boom. Oh, it's crazy. He sounds a little bit like John Madden. Not as much as I sounded like John Madden on accident. right? And then the same people who started this hype train by you know, hyping him up turn around and pretend that they're expert film watchers because they watch people who watch film a little bit, but not much, 
do film breakdowns and little snippets of somebody who's really good, and then they pretend that they watch film, and that's how they know that this is the greatest person ever. You don't watch film. They don't watch film. Everybody's lying. Quit lying. Otherwise, I'll tell you what. I'll give you a list of edge rushers. There's literally over 100 of them. You go watch every single one of their snaps every single week through the entire season, and then come back to me and let me know what you got. Even then, I don't really care because you're you're not any good at this, dude. Neither am I. It's why I don't. It's why I do this stuff. Anyways, so there's that. So statistics are great. However, I like statistics with a little bit more nuance. For example, total sacks is cool because it's kind of sort of what we're looking for. Not entirely, but it's a good part of what we're looking for. If that's what we're trying to do, then T.J. Watt's number one, Shaquille Barrett's number two, Cam Jordan's number three, Chandler Jones is number four, and then Zadarius is number five with 12 sacks, which is awesome. But there's kind of two problems with this. Number one, it's not taking into account snap count. So, for example, I've been talking for a while about how it's kind of ridiculous that people talk about Rashawn Gary not getting as many stats when he's not hardly playing at all. How can you compare Rashawn Gary to Brian Burns when Brian Burns literally has hundreds more snaps and attempts? Because snaps is what we're talking about, attempts. It would be like if you and I are shooting hoops and we're just trying to see how many baskets we can make, and then at the end of it, we report back and I'm like, I got 10 baskets and Mikey over here got one. And then the assumption by people who don't super think in depth, are like, oh, well, Pack Daddy's better. Better shooter by a lot, actually. Mikey's trash. And then you find out that I took 100 shots and Mikey took one. Who maybe is a little bit better? I got 10%, he got 100%. Does that make sense? It should because it's very simplistic. Moving on. The other thing it's not taking into account is the fact that sacks aren't the be-all, end-all. Especially when you consider how small the number is and how many attempts there are, how many things they're trying to do. If an entire season can be summed up in like 15 plays and the rest are just throwaways, that's kind of a silly thing. Now, there's also more than rushing the passer, but I'm not talking about necessarily being a well-rounded edge rusher. I'm talking about pass rusher, best player at disrupting the quarterback, and disrupting the quarterback, rushing the passer, I'm primarily looking at, and there's two ways you can look at this. One is, I guess, wins, which is how many times you beat the tackle in front of you. The second would be pressures, which is sacks, hits, and hurries. And I actually prefer pressures because as as great as it is to be able to beat the guy in front of you, which is an awesome thing and it's a skill in and of itself, there has to be some element of actually, you know, completing the act, right? If you can beat a guy, but you are just slow and fat and stumbly and everything, and you never actually get to the quarterback, you know, you're real slow up the snap, and then you just grab the guy, body slam him, and you kind of just lumber over to the quarterback, but it takes you about four seconds to complete that, that that's not super great. So there's got to be an element of, of, because also winning is kind of baked into the pressure percentage, because you can't get to the quarterback unless you beat the guy in front of you. There's no scenario in, when the t- is in which the tackle wins and you get a sack or a hit or a hurry. I suppose if the quarterback kind of scrambles or something, maybe it's not 100% the tackle's fault, but it's still kind of baked in. So what I like is pressures, but also looking at snap counts. Because if you look at pressures, the number one guy in pressures right now is Daniil Hunter. And he's up by a decent amount. Cam Jordan has 71. Daniil Hunter has 76. Darius' third was 70, so he's not that far behind. Here's the difference, though. Cam Jordan has 71 pressures with 480 attempts. Daniil Hunter has 76 with 447. So Daniil is actually quite a ways ahead of Cam Jordan because he's got, you know, 33 less attempts. Zadarius has 70 with 393 attempts. He's got less attempts than everybody in the top 
eight. He's the only one in the top eight with 300-some snaps, which kind of makes sense that the guys in the top eight would all have 400-plus snaps. And then you got guys like Joey Bosa who have like 368 or whatever because the more opportunities you get, the more pressures you get. So if I sort this by pressures, you get a little bit more guys with a lot of opportunities which is not what I'm looking for, which is why one of my favorite things, and it's something that PFF doesn't actually reveal to anybody, I have to do the math myself. So I exported all these guys into an Excel sheet, and I came up with pressure percentage, sack percentage, hit percentage, hurry percentage. The best metric that I can think of is pressure percentage. What we want is pressures, and then if if we want to measure how good you are, it's how many pressures you're expected to get per I guess 100 snaps or what, however, right? That's sort of what we're talking about with percentages or per snap or what it doesn't matter. It all comes out the same, just different numbers. Right now, the let's start with the fifth highest guy, Daniil Hunter, with 447 attempts and 76 pressures, is actually not number one overall. He's fifth, and he's doing a great job, but he's fifth. 17%, which by the remember, I had said this, this has to be somewhat unique, and you know, maybe I'll export last year's thing. So, for those that are kind of new, pressure percentage, and I again, this is somewhat I don't want to say proprietary, but since I can't find this anywhere, I, I'm, I'm calling myself the foremost expert on pressure percentage. And the way that I've kind of assessed this is 10% is the, the dividing line, below 10%, you're not very good, above 10%, that's when we start, you know, whatever. If you're at 10, 11, that's acceptable. 12%, you're pretty decent, right? Um, Kenny Clark and uh, Mike Daniels were in that 12, 13%-ish range, right? You're very happy with those numbers. That's when you start looking at these guys are talented, they're disruptors, that kind of stuff. You get up into the 14, 15%, and you're very good, right? I think generally by the end of people's years, you don't see much higher than 14, 15%. People that are above 15% are very, very rare. And I did kind of a big episode on, you know, Khalil Mack's best year. And I forget exactly what the numbers are. I should probably do it again and write it down because this is becoming pretty incredible. But right now there are officially 14 players who have 15% pressure percentage or higher. Number 14 on the list with exactly 15% is Kyler Fackrell. Now, the the been hearing a lot of, from the coaches talking about how Kyler has been doing a great job, and it's kind of weird because you don't really see him at all. And last year he had a ton of sacks, but it was it wasn't really that impressive because his pressure percentage was kind of low, which was kind of like where Preston is at right now, where he's getting a lot of sacks compared to the amount of pressures he's getting, meaning he's not actually getting to the quarterback very often, but when he does, he gets a sack. This year, he's kind of flipped that. He's getting to the quarterback a lot, but he's not getting a ton of sacks. In fact, his pressure or his sack percentage, which is another thing that I've gone out and done, is actually really low. He's not getting very many sacks, but he is the 14th best in football right now. And by the way, I made the cutoff 100 attempts. You've got to have at least 100 attempts. For reference, Rashawn and Kyler Factor are both are both in here. So under 100 is basically like you're not playing because Rashawn and, and Kyler are very, very limited, and they're both on this list. So Kyler Fackrell is on here. He has one spot behind Miles Garrett, two spots behind Joey Bosa, three spots behind Von Miller, right? This is very, very top-tier company. Jamie Collins, who is a linebacker, which, by the way, that's even more impressive. These are, these are edge rushers, linebackers, everybody. Now, you're not going to get more than edge, defensive line, and linebacker because corners aren't blitzing 100 times by this time of the year or ever throughout a season. But this is all three of those guys who might have 100 pass rush attempts. Actually, you know what? That's total snap counts was 100, not total pressure attempt. Never mind. Whatever. Fine. 
100 snaps. So there could be corners in here, right? I don't know. Whatever. Slightly confused, but let's power through this. So beyond that, you've got 16%, which is where Jamie Collins is. Jacob Martin, edge rusher out of Houston. Demario Davis from New Orleans. J.J. Watt, who again is killing it with sacks. 16 point, or no, that's J.J., not T.J. J.J. 16.15. Adrian Claiborne out of Atlanta, 16.17. Which is weird because Atlanta's it's like we don't have a pass rusher. Well, you do. You just don't play him very often. Uh, T.J. Watt is at 16.22. Then you've got five guys in the 17% territory, which is just ridiculous. Daniil Hunter, number five. Vinnie Curry out of Philly at 17.07. Nick Bosa, 17.08. Cameron Wake, 17.13. Number one. And and keep in mind, we're talking 17 even, 17.07, 17 17.03, 17.13. So 0, 7, 8, and 13. Very so so the guys that are at seventeen are just barely over that seventeen mark. Sedarius Smith is at seventeen point eight one. He's the only one that if you round up to the the whole number or whatever, he'd be at eighteen percent. He has seventy pressures on under four hundred attempts, twelve sacks, eighteen hits, forty hurries. Now these aren't exact numbers. PFF has their own metrics. They don't do half sacks. They you know whatever, and it, they're they're actually smaller numbers than what the Packers do. Um, because every time there's a game, it's like, oh yeah, I, I had Zadarius down for 800 pressures in that game. But Zadarius Smith is getting to the quarterback on a percentage basis more than anybody else. And this isn't just in recent history. This is this is throughout the entire season. Looking back on the whole season, Zadarius Smith has been the most effective edge rusher, most effective defender getting to the quarterback in the NFL right now. Now, another interesting tidbit here. The reason I looked into this is because, let me find it, it was Justin in the uh, Facebook group. He posted a graphic from PFF on Twitter, PFF Packers. And I looked at it, and it says uh, 25.5% win rate, or 26.5, which, you know, that's a different thing. That's going to be a little bit higher. And then it said 25.6 pressure rate, 90 pass rush grade. And I'm thinking, that's not true. And then I noticed it said since week nine which is over the last four weeks. Now, I did come up with slightly different numbers, which is weird. Here's the thing that's unbelievable. Over the last four weeks, based on what I'm calculating here, which is, again, a little bit different than what they've got, but whatever, he has got a pressure percentage, which is to say, what percentage of time is he disrupting the quarterback, whether it be hits, sacks, or hurry? Over four weeks now, 24%. One in four times when he's trying to get to the quarterback, he does. That's unheard of. That doesn't happen. That's college football statistics, and that's only like the Chase Youngs of the college world, the Nick Bosa's in college. Those are the only times you ever see 24%. Now, granted, he doesn't have that over the whole season, but that is one-third of the season, the last four weeks of the season. We're talking about guys needing to step up toward the end of the year. Zadarius is playing... On, on, I heard somebody say all pro level. This this is all world, all ever level. The other interesting thing is if, it's not just, well, if you look back over the four weeks, he had one really big week. Not one time over the last four weeks was he below 20%. Not once. For four weeks in a row, he has been over 20% of the time he's getting a pressure with an average of 24%. He has four sacks over the last four games. He has 10 hits in the last four games. He has 16 hurries in the last four games. So he's getting like one sack, two hits, and four hurries in every game. 
which is seven pressures a game. For a guy that's rushing the passer anywhere from, you know, 20 times to 45, 50 times at the high end and low end, seven pressures, that ain't bad. So yes, I am pretty comfortably saying, I know he's not as flashy, he's not getting all the media hype um, because he's a relatively unknown guy, right? Nick Bosa, obviously Joey Bosa, not unknown at all. These guys were drafted extremely high, huge stars in college, expected to be great, have been great. They're also freakish athletes, so when they get pressures and sacks, it's it's usually like highlight reel stuff, like how does a human being do that? Sedarius is all bull, all effort. He's a technician, but he's just, he's, I mean, he's just a pit bull. He won't be stopped. He is exactly what Mike Pettin has always wanted. He's somebody that sees the quarterback, and he just sees red. And there's nothing that's going to stop him from getting to the quarterback. Nothing. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I got so frustrated toward the end of Clay Matthews' career because essentially Clay Matthews, he was either going to get you with his move or he was done. And it didn't matter, and that was the thing. Quarterbacks would hold the ball for what felt like five, six, seven seconds because they just wouldn't get home. Like, at all. Like, it was just done. They were locked up. Zadarius and Preston will get to the quarterback. It's just a matter of time. This is just what they're doing before the quarterback is able to get the ball out of his hand. Add a second to how long these quarterbacks are. It's just, it's going to go up exponentially. The amount of times these guys are almost home. And by the way, that's true of Rashawn as well. That's the most frustrating thing with Rashawn is he's always there, but it's always a second too late. Right? He's, he's actually very good at bull rush. Because, I mean, he's just an athletic freak. He's faster than the tackle. He's stronger than the tackle. He's just... He's a weird human being to be able to have that stuff. It's just not refined enough, and you have to get there in two and a half, three seconds, and Rashawn can't. He'll get there in three and a half, four, like 90% of the time, but he's never there. I shouldn't say never. He's not there enough, and usually he's not getting around the tackle. He's going through the tackle, so it's hard to get sacks when you have a tackle between you, but as far as being able to generate pressures, that's why he has a ton of pressures and no sacks because he's not actually getting around the tackle. He's going into the tackle and pushing the tackle into the quarterback and being disruptive in that way. But anyways, uh, some other interesting tidbits since I went to the trouble to make this little chart here. Looking at sack percentage, uh, Preston Smith is sixth in the NFL in sack percentage, which is to say what percentage of times, not not of the pressures, because that's kind of irrelevant, what percentage of time when you're trying to get to the quarterback do you sack the quarterback? That's what we're asking. And so a high number here does actually matter. For Preston Smith, that number is 3.7. Now, I haven't generated kind of the same way with the 10% whatever um, that you would start calling somebody great or whatever. It would probably be 3%. There are only 14 guys, which is similar to what it was before. I think it was, what was it, over 12 or 13%? Or 15%. I think 14 guys were over 15%. There are also 14 guys over 3%. So this would be kind of elite territory of guys that are converting pressures to sack. Number 14 is Zadarius Smith. He just cracks that 3% with 3.05%. Um, you've got only three guys at 4%, Clay Matthews, believe it or not, D. Ford, Benson Mayoa out of Oakland, and then number one at 5% is Jamie Collins, who's having a really good year. Looking at hit percentage, which, I mean, it's just kind of whatever, but uh, Kyler Fackrell is second in the NFL. So he's not getting a lot of sacks. In fact, he's very low on sacks, hurries, whatever. But as far as getting hits, that's kind of his jam. So he's, he's just in between hurries and sacks. He's getting his hands on the quarterbacks just a half a second too late. But he's number two in the NFL. Zadarius is number six in the NFL in uh, hits. And then with hurries, um, actually the, the top guy that we have in hurries right now is 13th overall, and that's Kenny Clark. So again, this is all edge rushers, defensive linemen, linemen. This is anybody in defense with the minimum amount of snaps. Kenny Clark is the 13th best in generating hurries 
one spot behind Khalil Mack. Zadarius is 16th, um, generating a hurry a little over 10% of the time. Kenny Clark and Zadarius are both in the 10% range. So that's that's kind of incredible in and of itself because 10% isn't bad for any kind of pressure total. Zadarius and Kenny Clark are getting 10% just on hurries. Now granted, Kenny Clark is less than 1% in hits and sacks, so he doesn't actually get that much higher. He's only at 11.79 overall, which is kind of a somewhat of a down year, but I think he's getting better as the, the year's been going on. But really, this is this is awesome. Because if you have a situation where, and we need to do this more often, you have Kyler Fackrell and Preston on the edge, and you put um, Zadarius on the inside with Kenny Clark, just, I mean, we're talking about, what are we talking about here? We're talking about a group of four guys that, on average, are going to get to the quarterback 58.74% of the time. Now, I don't know exactly statistically how that works with overlap, but still, on average, 58.74% of the time, you would expect someone to be able to get to the quarterback. So there's a higher than 50% likelihood that somebody's going to be able to get there. It really is an incredible group, and, and I think Kyler's being overshadowed. We're very worried about Rashawn, understandably, because he's a first-round pick, but we have three guys, the edge rushers, that are generating pressures at unbelievable rate. Last year, again, we had a pretty good pass rush on the interior with Kenny and Mike Daniel. That was 12 and 13%. Our three edge rushers right now are generating pressures at 14.14, 15, and 17.81. Preston is third in this category, and he's on a different level. I'm, I'm going to be, I'm, I think by, I, I need to be done, because dang it, I'm out of time. What am I going to do here? I really lost track. All right. I guess we'll just be going over uh, quite a bit. But I need to go back and find out just to kind of solidify this, the last time the Packers have had anything even close to this. But anyways, let's quickly take a break, and I want to look at some of the the playoff implications and things we need to be rooting for, and we'll do this very, very quickly. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, so here is kind of where we're at on this. Oh, I got to figure out how to condense this. This was supposed to be a little bit longer. So the, the first thing I wanted to point out is that a first-round buy isn't necessarily entirely out of reach. It's not necessarily going to be easy, but obviously the number one step here is going to be to win out, which essentially isn't that hard other than we got to beat Minnesota, right? Washington should not be that difficult. Chicago should not be that difficult in Lambeau. Detroit, slightly worried again. We'll have to see what's going on with Stafford. I know they're in complete decline, but it's still the same team that almost beat us just like a month or two ago. And it's going to be on their home turf, so it's certainly not a guarantee. But essentially, so we're saying beat Minnesota is number one. The second most important thing is the Saints. They have to lose one game to either the Panthers or the 49ers. If they drop a game, they're 13, um, 13 wins, and the Packers are 13 wins, so they're tied. But 
The tiebreaker only goes to the Packers if they lose to an NFC team. The last two NFC teams they're playing are the 49ers and the Panthers, so we absolutely are rooting for the 49ers. Um, And then if they beat the 49ers, then we need some kind of a miracle from the Panthers. Now, as far as, well, doesn't that hurt us as far as the 49ers going up? No, it doesn't. Because what what we're looking at is the only other teams that are in contention, you got to look at the division. There's the NFC North, which we're going to win, so the Vikings are not a threat. There's the NFC East, which nobody there is a threat because their records are all trash. There's the Sa- the South, where the Saints reside, and they're the only team that's going to be, you know, competing for this. And then there's the West with Seattle and San Francisco. But Seattle and San Francisco, only one of them is going to win their division. So if San Francisco just dominates, then Seattle, regardless of their record, are not going to be in competition for that number two spot. So the 49ers get one, and we're competing with the Saints, and we beat the Saints if they lose to the 49ers and or the Panthers. Likewise, if Seattle ends up dominating the 49ers, then Seattle maybe has a, you might have a situation where Seattle and the 49ers are both better than us, but again, they're competing with one another. Only one of them gets that spot. So the only real competition we have are the Vikings, the 49ers, the Seahawks, and the Saints. But again, the Vikings aren't a competition, and only one of either the Seahawks or the 49ers are going to get in, which leaves one spot vacant, and it's either going to go to the Packers or it's going to go to the Saints. So that's kind of how this breaks down. So that's why if the Saints lose to the 49ers, all the Packers have to do is win out and they get a spot guaranteed. There's nothing that can shake that from them. Doesn't matter how many games the Vikings win, the 49ers win, the Seahawks win. They're they're not going to take a spot from the Packers. Nobody can take it from the Packers. So we need to be massively, massively, massively rooting for the 49ers against the Saints because that's it. That's that's If that happens, the Packers 100% control their destiny and will have that first round bye. Now, again, very quickly, what happens if the Saints win out? So if the Packers and the Saints both win out, then what that then it becomes pretty close to impossible. But essentially what that means is the Saints have solidified a spot because the Saints are, are ahead by one. So we can't catch them record-wide. So the, the scenario then would be we would probably need the Seahawks to drop two games going forward. The problem with that is the best chance the Seahawks have of losing would be a loss to the 49ers, which would likely put them at 13 wins to have the tiebreaker. Does that make sense? So we either are competing with the the Saints, or if the Saints win out, we're competing with the Seahawks and the 49ers. So if the Saints win out, we either need the Seahawks to lose two games and not to the 49ers, which is just a ridiculous... So we need them to beat the 49ers but lose to two other teams, or the Seahawks need to drop two games one of which being the 49ers, but the 49ers did need to drop one additional game beyond the Saints who we already assume they lose to. So the Seahawks lose two games, the 49ers lose to the Saints and lose two other games, but they're not allowed to lose to the Seahawks. So that only leaves two games, which is the Falcons and the Rams. They have to lose one of those two games. So again, if the very simple solution here is the Saints need to lose to the 49ers. Boom, bing, bang, bang, boom, done. If not that, the Panthers. If that doesn't happen, it gets very convoluted and a lot of crazy things need to happen. So, the you know, again, the Seahawks lose two, one of which not being to the 49ers. The 49ers need to lose to the Saints and one other team being the Falcons or the Rams. So, you know. And look, hey, Packers are in. Very likely the Packers win the division. Again, assuming even if they lose to the Vikings, they as long as they don't lose to the Lions, the Bears, or the Redskins, they win the division. So that all that is awesome. But being able to play in Lambeau is huge. I know people are worried about the bye, and th- there is a stigma to that as far as 
teams that play in the bye aren't exactly battle ready and we saw them come out of the bye and just get whooped by the 49ers which probably has more to do with the fact that the Packers played like garbage and the 49ers are a really good team but here's the thing if we got to play the 49ers I would rather we play it because it's going to be the same week anyways because the 49ers presume well they might not get a bye I don't know I want to play the 49ers if we have to again in Lambeau that's the only chance we're going to have a beating we're not going to win on the west coast now the the negative here the other the other really big negative is that we're talking about the number two seed, which means the number one seed isn't going to be the Saints, more than likely, unless one of these crazy things happen, but is going to be either the Seahawks or the 49ers, which means, let's assume, I don't know, Minnesota comes to Lambeau and Dallas goes to uh, play the Seahawks to the 49ers, and the Seahawks or 49ers win and the Packers win. The Packers would then have to go to the West Coast. The Packers in Seattle or the Packers in uh, San Francisco are not great scenarios, but whatever. Cross that bridge when we get there. Maybe the Cowboys have some kind of weird win, or it's not the Cowboys, it's somebody else. Maybe it's the Vikings. Whatever. I mean, if it, let's say it's the 49ers who get the number one seed, and the two winners coming out are the Seahawks and the Vikings. Then the Seahawks would come to Lambeau, and the Vikings would go to play San Francisco. If the Vikings would happen to win, then the Vikings would come to Lambeau to play to try to get into the Super Bowl. I'm not I'm not uh, upset about that scenario. Any scenario that requires us to win in Lambeau to get to the Super Bowl, I'm good with. So anyways, again, that's really the biggest thing I wanted to point out. I was playing with some of these different scenarios. Saints need to lose to the 49ers or the Panthers. If that happens, boy, oh boy, we might be getting that first round bye. That, that'd be crazy. Anyways, I got to wrap it up. I got to get going. You folks have yourselves just the most glorious day you've ever had in your entire lives. If you see Zadarius Smith's um, social media person, be sure to punch and kick them furiously. You got football players commenting on this right now, and nobody knows that it's uh, it's mine. Nobody knows. You even got people in the in the uh, comments saying, "Dude, you should put that on a T-shirt. I'll buy that." Like, come seriously? <laughs> Zadarius Smith tweeted my T-shirt. I'm not gonna get a single thing out of this. Whatever. I don't even care, man. I got a. Big old cup of coffee here, and I don't know how it gets better than that. I had uh, ham and eggs for breakfast, chicken for lunch. I'm just listing food at this point. But, you know, the point is, my life is awesome. I don't need Zadarius shouting me. I, I don't even care about that. Do you know how comfortable this broken computer chair is? Psh, how it kind of leans back into the side a little bit? It's good for your back, I think. It's like a chiropractic thing. It's good for my sugars. My, my sugars. Whatever. I'm... I'm you have a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow.